we may never work in the same way again. So reimagine the office with scalable workspaces that flex to your needs. Design-led interiors and world-class IT. Iconic offices have reinvented the future of working, so you don't have to. Hybrid offices, co-working, or custom floors for a global HQ. 16 prime Dublin locations, infinite possibilities. Experience it for yourself. Visit iconicoffices.ie to reimagine how working can work for your business. Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, I love reading and not only do I eat up books for pleasure, but I've often got a few on the go for work, which is great. But you tend to look at those books differently. I'm thinking of questions as I'm reading. Often I'm underlying stuff or writing in the back. And I thought this book would be similar. I had heard of Ivana Lynch. Sure, she's the Irish girl who plays Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter franchise, who hasn't heard of her. But I didn't know that she had recovered from an eating disorder and is a passionate animal rights activist. So I picked up the book with interest, but I didn't expect to be swept away the way I was. Ivana writes beautifully with an aching honesty, but also an articulation about a sensitive subject that I have never come across before. I was so moved by it. And I think a good book should always stir your soul and help you to learn. And this book does that in spades. It's called The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting, The Tragedy and Glory of Growing Up. And Ivana Lynch, its author, joins me now. Hello, Ivana. How are you? Um, Well, thank you. That's really kind. How did you remember everything with such clarity, do you think? I do you know there was like... I've been meaning to write this book for a long time because I had I just felt like I had a lot of these stories inside inside me that I just couldn't I couldn't let go, you know, um, and so I didn't remember everything. But there were there were certain moments there were like probably the more dramatic anecdotes. They just really stood out and stuck with me. Um and I have kept a diary over the years um, of things. Yeah, like things people said to me that I felt were important, um, people who were important. And then but then there was a lot of filling in as well. There was a lot of either either I would kind of write it as I thought it happened and then I would check with people around me. So I had a lot of conversations with my parents and with you know people from my past, uh, my therapist. Um, so there was a lot of, there was a bit of you know piecing the jigsaw puzzle together a bit, but the more dramatic scenes, it was weird. Some of them I, I, I remembered like lines people said to me or words people said to me like verbatim. So, but, but you do learn when you write a memoir that memory is, is quite an unreliable um, resource. And uh, yeah, it really helped to have conversations with other people. And I think what's interesting, I mean, you really are a gifted writer. As I say, I ate it because the words just flow from you and you're very much there with you, but you write it of course, it's a memoir from your perspective. So even though there are certain things that happen along the way that almost seem like you may be critical of your family at one point Mm -hmm. or a doctor, it's all okay because it's all literally just from your perspective at that particular time. Is that how you reconciled with that? Definitely, yeah. And like that was one of the tricky parts of the book of like... um, 
I am writing at, 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 any, at any moment, you know, in the book, I'm writing from the age I was then. So, you know, when I was 11, 12, 13, I'm writing from that um, young, kind of immature and also very sick uh, at the time voice. And um, and obviously there are times then when I kind of flash forward and, and give a little bit of reflection from that place. But um, yeah, I, 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 I wanted just to, I needed to feel like visceral and to feel, um, to, I wanted to kind of bring the reader into the mind of someone with an eating disorder and someone young, you know, at that time. Um, just, just to me, it's, it's, it's more truthful and it, it also, it helps people understand because people really don't on the outside you know my family didn't understand the doctors didn't understand what was going on with me and i didn't know how to articulate it at the time so this kind of trying to give that insight and um say all the things that 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 young girl needed to say and um yeah make it clear and and you know i do I have all this hindsight. I, it, it's years ago when I went through that. And I do have compassion for all the people who um, who I may be a bit critical of in the book because it's a, it's a difficult problem. Like people don't know um, it, it, how to, uh, what's the best way to recover? What's the best way to treat people? It's definitely a topic um, and a, an issue that really needs more research. So um, yeah, I have, I, I think, that that's reflected in the end of the book that I I do feel for those people but I, I wanted to be honest about how it felt at the time well you do that you're really successful in that because I didn't really understand eating disorders I had compassion for them but I didn't really have a full insight oh, into it okay. and it is so beautifully articulated how you feel and what you went through um so you were very very successful in that and it's a very brave thing to do to want to put that out there to maybe help and inspire others because obviously you've gone on to become a successful actress to be very well known for your your parts in the harry potter movie so you could have just left it there that you're this big shiny actress and everything is fine in your world but you took the time to go back and share that personal journey. And something that really interested me was when you were talking about the kind of books that are out there for eating disorders. And you wanted to be very careful in this, that you didn't glorify your journey, that you didn't show a time that you were in inverted commas, really good at anorexia. So you don't really get into your weight loss because for some people who may be going through it, this may seem attractive and you, you really describe that really well. And that's something I never really considered before. Yeah, it's very like I I suppose I'm writing again from my younger experience because I, I read a lot of those books and found them extremely triggering. And, you know, I think there is a place for them. You know, people want to understand it's my issue with them is that we the details are so shocking and so extreme that we get distracted and then we fail to address the root problem with the, the the thing that caused the anorexia or the eating disorder in the first place um and i think you know people with eating disorders quite like to brag about their statistics and and then people who on the outside are just quite compelled you know it's quite dramatic and, and shocking and interesting um so i just wanted to avoid that i just was this i felt this book can't be a conversation about um you know a person going to extremes with their body it has to be what was going on with the soul with the um with the emotions all that kind of thing um so and i just i also really felt that 
all the anorexia memoirs I've read, um, are they, they sort of end with physical recovery and they kind of say, you know, I'm working on myself. And I just felt, oh, you know, healing only began for me when I finished physical recovery. That's when I start to deal with the real issue. Um, and it took many, many years of work. And uh, yeah, so so I just, I, I was like, I, I think as well, because I, I spoke about it in the media when I was younger and then was framed as this sort of, uh, you know, eating disorder recovery warrior. And I was still struggling with all the toxic thoughts. And I saw the discordancy and I felt like, gosh, I wish I could be honest. I wish I could say that sometimes I still really struggle. Um, but I felt that people wanted just the success story. And, and, and now I feel differently. I think people want the truth. I think people want to see the vulnerability. I think that's a lot more relatable. And when you talk about that time, it's almost like, I mean, you open the book with you asking your mom and dad what rape is because that's something that's popped up in the news bulletin mm -hmm. and it's almost like you're talking about a, a, a very different time I think the language we mm -hmm. have now with the way we speak to children with the information that we have available to us is very very different do you do you think that do you agree with that we talk more openly about body image about self-compassion uh, even up down to, to consent even that language wasn't there do you think we are living in a different time and that that will be better for people who may be struggling oh definitely like uh, do you know one thing throughout the book that I, I it, it really stuck, stuck out for me was how um there was no language around body shaming you know what I remember clearly being in hospital being treated for an eating disorder and nurses around me reading all these magazines that were shaming all these celebrities bodies just pointing out they were too skinny they were too fat all that stuff and I feel like I mean that stuff is still there it's maybe more co covert which is I don't know if it, maybe if maybe that isn't better but people have the language for body shaming fat shaming fat phobia all that stuff and they can call it out and I think it used to just be that we felt ashamed of our bodies and and uh, I think more the shame is now put towards people doing the shame, you know, it's like that's not OK. Uh, and we know that now. So I think it is a better time. But but there's also so many more struggles for young people like we didn't have social media back then. We didn't have to peer into all these fabulous people's lives all the time, every day. So um, it, it is and it isn't a better time, I think. Um, but yeah, we just keep need to keep having these conversations, I think. Yeah. And I think you're you're so right with that. Um, and I thought about that a lot because you talk about a general feeling of being a bit lost. And you remember distinctly that moment where you saw your body as something separate, as something to objectify. And even though as you're saying it, those kind of toxic magazines and those toxic images that, that come to us, it's about so much more than that and, and such a deeper root cause than that but our our body image and the way we feel about ourselves that's a way we can articulate that through an eating disorder if there's self-hatred we can turn it in on our bodies and I never heard it mm -hmm. articulated in that way mm -hmm. as you did um and you know I, I I think we work really hard to have body confidence and that we all come in different shapes and sizes but I think inevitably there's always going to be people on social media who look a certain way. I mean, the ones with the 
most followers do look a certain way or you talk about the girl on the school bus on the way to summer camp there's always going to be that person that just seems to glow and have it all going on Mm -hmm. and it's more about our dealing with ourselves and Mm -hmm. comparison having those tools really isn't it yeah for sure like I those you see those people and I see them and you you can start to feel like oh, would like, would, wouldn't my life be better if I devoted myself to, you know, perfecting the body? And it is tempting, of course, because people are um, shallow, you know, people get pulled in by the aesthetics. But I always, I mean, and that's what the, the title of the book refers to, that I just think it's too much of a sacrifice. Like I have tried that journey of, um, yeah you know perfecting the body but I just felt I lost too much I sacrificed too much and um I'd rather you know have a bit um, just feel a bit messy in myself but live a full and creative life and I and I do think the more you kind of pursue perfection the more your sort of life force and creativity your nerve really goes away because um perfection is just quite um it's like a it's like a it boxes you in there it's it's these neat lines and there's no there's no unpredictability there's no um there's it it is it's the opposite of creative energy in my opinion so i i see it but i think women have to be braver and well you know men too a lot of men struggle with eating disorders we all have to be braver and 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 say that we want to live a more interesting life and that there's much more to us than our bodies and and our how we yeah our images You do talk a lot about that sacrifice. You were always a very creative person. You loved your art. You loved your drama class. And slowly, as the obsession with your exercise and your food began to take over, and obviously your energy levels were going down, your creativity was just disappearing. You didn't have the the energy for that wild freeness anymore. And even in your drama class, even though you were showing up with your monologues perfectly learned up, you weren't getting the parts because people didn't think you were going to be able for it because of what they were were seeing and and I think that's also really interesting to to show the the sacrifices that came with it so on on one hand you felt you were winning but on the other you were you were losing a lot yeah I was I was fading really like those two years were kind of a write-off in terms of self-development um and that's what happens with eating disorders your your personality starts to fade and everything that kind of like the colorful parts of you they, they all go away and it just becomes this one thing and you know I suppose that's another message I wanted to get across in the book was that in a sense I I I do sort of regret my eating disorder like I I'm happy now everything's good and and also I've turned it into something creative with this book but I don't I sometimes think uh, what who would I be if I'd spent those two years pursuing my my creativity properly if I hadn't chosen the whole perfection thing over that because I did like I used to you know people have been asking me like oh did you did you write when you were younger and I really did I, I wrote a lot up until age 11 when that all kicked off and that and I think it's quite hard to get that childish 
um, or childlike curiosity and passion for just creating and just doing it for the sake of it. It's a very daring, free way of being. And when you've cut that off, which an eating disorder does, um, or fear does, I suppose, in the more general sense, it is quite hard to get it back. And I, yeah, I, I do always, I, th th that's what I wanted to show people that the longer you sustain your eating disorder, the more it will take from you and, and it will be harder to to build yourself back. I mean, you absolutely can do it, but, you know, get out of it as soon as you can, really. Well, Ivana, will you stay on the line? Because I'm going to have to take a quick break. And you're listening to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna. And I'm talking to Ivana Lynch, actress, but now author of a fantastic memoir. We'll take a break. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna. And I'm talking to actress Ivana Lynch, perhaps best known for her role as Luna Lovegod in the Harry Potter movies, about her new memoir, Is It of Butterfly Hunting, The Tragedy and Glory of Growing Up. And... Can we talk a little bit, Ivana, about your love for the Harry Potter books? Because that's something that was really quite magical throughout the book, that you always adored the books, that they were a place of solace for you, that they were something that your gorgeous mom was using <laughs> at times to, to, to help you. She used your drama class to try mm -hmm. and help you get healthy and all the things you loved. And even when you were hospitalized at one point, the deal to, to help you get back on track was that if you stuck to the plan, you'd get to go to Eason's and get your, your new copy of the book. I mean, that's just mind blowing that you ended up in the movies. I know. Yeah. To me, that's like quite miraculous. Um, but like, you know, you've read the book. I, I believe in manifestation, all that kind of stuff, setting intentions. That was obviously a very big dream and manifestation come true. Um, but but yeah, I just I really connected to the world. I just felt I just felt like, oh, this these characters, this person who's created this world, I felt like they understood me. And um, yeah, and it, and at, at that time, at a very dark time, it, it gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of, oh, I, I have a reason to be here and, and I, I could be part of this world. And then it all worked out to be that way. You know what? Well, yeah, that part is pretty magical. It so is. And can we talk a little bit about your treatment as well? Because, you know, I mentioned there that you were you were hospitalized. Um, I touched a little on, on your family and, and maybe we could talk about that, because I did say earlier before the break, there's times it would feel as if you're almost critical with the battles you went through with your parents, mm -hmm. the issues you had with your siblings as, as, as they they battled with you a little bit as well, but that it was all from your perspective. Mm -hmm. But they were always there. They're omnipresent mm -hmm. throughout everything. So you can tell they really are by your side, just doing their best. And you went to such a succession of experts and doctors and psychologists and you talk very interestingly in the book about how you're not saying they were negligent but many of them didn't ask the right questions so mm -hmm. I don't think and, and I'm sure you'll agree you would have got better without the medical intervention but it was when you sat in front of Dr Natasha Tai, and she was the first one that looked you in the eye mm -hmm. and said how are you yeah. that seemed to be the the, the a big turning point although step one perhaps or one of the steps in your recovery yeah huge I mean I don't know where I'd be without her and I I, 
I feel for people who struggle to meet the right therapist. You know, to me, she's like, Natasha was the answer. And I'm like, I wish everyone could be treated by her. Um, she's incredible. But like, she was just, it, it was a human approach. Um, she she saw the person. She wasn't like, right, let me look at, study this illness and, and how to get it. And that's, I think, how a lot of doctors, and maybe it was because I was young and, you know, because I was visibly very ill that they, they, they just couldn't, they just failed to see the person. But that's the thing, like nobody just recovers for the sake of it because you don't want to get, you know, quote unquote, in, in your eyes fat, you don't want to put on weight. So if, if people are just trying to force you to gain weight and force you to change your body without addressing the, the issues beneath, um, it just, it, it won't stick, you know, and, and Natasha was the only one who was brave enough, I think, as, as a, um, medical professional to see um, she's not really medical she's more spiritual um, she's like um, uh existential psychologist but she was brave enough to kind of put all that stuff aside and work from her heart and see me and, and kind of help me recover the person who was obscured by this thing um but no I like I do understand but I mean I think it, it, it's, it's not I don't have any grudges against those doctors or anything because I understand they were really doing their best and and they're under a lot of pressure and you know it's funding as well isn't it it's like need to get this person better as quickly as possible and uh so obviously the the easy thing to fix is is the physical symptoms um but it's the medical system is like it's allopathic it's treat the symptoms to cure the illness and that works fine if you've got a broken arm or if you've got tonsillitis whatever um but it, it doesn't work for mental health issues it doesn't work for anorexia and were you conscious of right i mean you had to write your 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 truth your actual story but were you conscious that for some people they're not going to end up in a Harry Potter franchise at the end that you did have this sort of happily ever after ending and, and, and for other people it wouldn't necessarily be that way did you have any kind of back and forth on that of course and like that whole narrative that you're um you're you're worthy or you have you have succeeded in kind of redeeming yourself from the eating disorder by getting this part in a big movie. It, it turned into something quite, um, I don't know, just a bit of a, uh, like a rod for my back almost because it was it, it, it like my life didn't end after Harry Potter, but it was almost as if, you know, if, if you put that as the end of the fairy tale story, then I had this thing of, well, what's the point of me now? What do I do now? And what can I do to top that that will impress people or make them love me, you know? Um, and and I felt lost after that because, because of that narrative. And I just felt, it, you know, there are people who do, who go on to do things that are just as important and worthy and they're not on a grand scale. Um, or also just people who who continue to struggle and battle their eating disorder. I mean, it's such a hard thing. And I, 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 I I take issue with people saying, you know, people with eating disorder who, who continue down that path that they were defeated by them because it it takes an incredibly strong person to kind of just get up every day with with, with that um, negative voice in your head, that toxic voice. So I I don't like. I suppose I believe in inherent worth. I believe in um, that it's not about the external stuff. You don't prove your worth by getting a role in a movie. It's about yeah, it's just, it's what's in you. There's something deeper. And I, yeah, I really, I mean, that's why the book doesn't end after, after Harry Potter. It's because I had to show, um, 
I, you know, I still, I went outside myself looking for things to, to fill that gap, to fill, fill that gap of self-esteem. And uh, then kind of, it's the cliche, you know, in the end, having to come to, no, it's something within me. I'm not going to get this filled from the outside world. If that makes sense. Sorry, I'm going off on one, but um, yeah, I really felt strongly for the sake of other people to, to show that, that that narrative is just a story is just a fairy tale and um there's just much more to it than you kind of redeeming yourself by getting something bright and shiny um and do you live in the shadow of your eating disorder i mean you said earlier on in, in the interview you wonder what where you'd be if you hadn't had those two years where it consumed your mm-hmm. life but I, I I I wonder would you take it away or did you learn more about yourself by going through that struggle and do you feel it's still in the background or have you learned more about yourself and your inner strength because of it um no I don't think I live in the shadow of it do you know the only thing is and that this part of why I wrote this book I did feel like it's dominated um it's dominated the narrative around me for the past 10 years, really. I mean, fair enough, you know, people are curious about these things. They're curious about the dark parts of ourselves. And I am too. I want to know, I want to know the weird things people go through. Um, I don't want to just see the perfect facade really, but it's just this, I think every time I've done an interview, it doesn't matter what I'm working on. If I'm working on a play or doing animal rights activism, people have always asked me about this and um, I've struggled to articulate it in words. And, and, and this book feels like, right, I'm, I'm finally putting it out there. I'm telling you everything I know about this topic and this experience. And um, I suppose I hope like after promoting the book, after getting it out there really, that I won't have to keep talking about it for the rest of my life. And in that way, I really am stepping out of the shadow of it. Um, and I don't know, you know, as for who would I be if I didn't go through it? Who, who knows? I think we we do that. We we idealize situations that maybe didn't happen, but could have happened. Um, I know I have learned so much. I've met so many incredible people through it. Uh, there, I think there was a sense of inevitability. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I don't really regret it in, in that sense. And, and it's, I think I'm just meant to be talking about mental health and I think I'm meant to be writing about these things and um I'm just really I'm happy now that I'm on the creative path and I've put all that behind me and that I have people who really support where I'm at yeah um, the next person who asks you can just hand them the book and, exactly and head on about your business <laughs> tell us a little bit about life now and your work and and, and where you're living yeah um so I live in London and very happy there I've lived there for about five years and I well so the past year really has just been writing the book but before the pandemic I was doing a lot of theatre and I love theatre I really hope to go back to it I, I mean I, I actually prefer writing I mean I prefer acting to writing which is a bit unfortunate because um the writing has been going well and people have been responding to it but um I think I'll always act I'll always act but I but you know since this book has come out I I do feel that I want to I want to write fiction next. I don't. I don't think I would do another nonfiction. I think it's a bit too. Um, it, it's hard. It's just hard on your family and your relationships. So, um, yeah, writing, writing more books and and doing doing theater really. And um, and I live with my cat, and that's about it. <laughs> I read a headline in one of the Sunday papers 
that you were worried about J.K. Rowling reading this book. Was that true? And did you get from her what she what she thought of it? Did you ever get to find out if she read it and what she thought? No, I, I definitely am worried because like it's it's very revealing and she'd be one of my mentors, you know, she'd be somebody who, yeah, she's known me since I was a kid and, and has always been really supportive and encouraging of my dreams. So this book is really like kind of just bearing all the all the ugliness of uh, th- those times and um, that I wasn't necessarily I think people thought I was this dreamy, carefree character. I think they thought I was Luna Lovegood. And I think this book is showing no, there was much more going on beneath that. Um, so I am nervous of, yeah, what will she think of all that? But I, I, I sent it to her. I sent it to her at the very last minute. I should have sent it to her weeks ago, but I don't know. She's a very busy woman. I believe she has a bestseller on, on, the, on all the book lists at the moment. So who knows if she'll get the time, if she'll read it, but um, she can if she wants to. It's there. Well, I have no doubt she will be as impressed as I was. And I didn't know this about you at all. And I think so many of us in the country were so proud to see an Irish girl get a role in such a massive franchise. And we were all behind you and we were all proud of you. And I think anyone that reads this book will be proud of you for a very different reason. And it's a very special read you are a beautiful writer. Please do continue. The book is called The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting, The Tragedy and Glory of Growing Up, a memoir by actress and activist Ivana Lynch. Ivana, thank you so, so much for coming on. Claire, thanks for reading and thanks for all those lovely questions. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks as ever to my producer, John Fardy, and to Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I'll see you next week. If you are 65 or over, or you have a weak immune system, you can now get your second COVID-19 booster vaccine. Your vaccine is due four months after your last vaccine. It will improve your protection from COVID-19. You can book a vaccination centre appointment on hsc.ie or contact a participating GP or pharmacy. For more information on your second booster or to book an appointment, visit hsc.ie or call our team in HSE Live on 1800 700 700 from the HSE for us all.